Welcome back to Sisu Girls Canada. Today on the show, I'm interviewing Canadian Olympic race walker Rachel Seaman. Having watched her compete at the 2015 Pan Am Games, she showed me another side of this incredible sport. Thanks so much, Rachel, for taking time out of your busy training schedule to speak to us today. Thank you. So I just have a quick couple of questions about race walking before we sort of get into your career. Um, Because a lot of people, there's there's a lot of uh, stigma around race walking. But at what age did you figure out this was the sport that you wanted to get involved with? Well, I started race walking when I was 15, but I would say it took me a couple years to really decide to actually commit to it. So I wasn't, it wasn't until I was about 17 or 18 that I decided that I was going to be a race walker, I guess, that that was going to be what I was going to pursue. So for those people who don't really quite understand race walking, can you tell us a bit about what is different? Most people are familiar with running. Most people are familiar with power walking, but where, where does race walking fall in? So race walking is sort of in the middle between running and power walking, speed walking. Um, basically, there's there's two rules. You have to have one foot on the ground at all times. And in that same leg, your knee has to be straight. And so we have judges around the course when we're racing that are watching us. And if you do either of those two rules wrong three times, you uh, can be disqualified for the race. So it doesn't matter if it's a 1,500-meter race or a 50-kilometer race. You get three chances, basically, and uh, you can be disqualified. In my understanding, it's not only a race against the clock and against your opponents and against time, but it's also a judged uh, judged event. Yeah, uh, exactly. I mean, we have a lot of a lot of athletes have you know the cardio capabilities to go as hard as they want, and that's what that's one thing that makes it difficult compared to running, where you can look as ugly of a technique as you want as a runner and get away with it and still finish the race, you know, but with race walking, it's sort of a beauty contest that if you can't hold your technique, it doesn't matter how much you have in the engine, uh, you can't get through the race. That's, it's just, it's mind-blowing to me, um, because I've actually, I've witnessed it when I was in Pan Am Games watching you guys race, and I mean, it is a really beautiful sport. You guys are gliding across the pavement, and um, yet at any minute you can go into flight. So can you explain what that means? Yeah, I guess like it's kind of pushing the envelope, and, and some people say a perfect race is, is two red cards. Uh, and to me that's a bit risky because you only get three uh, chances before you're out. But... Um, so it's we're we're constantly practicing and training. It doesn't matter how good you are if you're just a beginner or if you're at the Olympic level. We're always working on our technique every, every day, so that, that way when we're uh, able to get to our top speed, that we're going to look as good as possible and be on the ground as much as possible. Because if both of our feet are off the ground, that means we're considered running. And so the judges, it's also the human eye, so they also can't take a video of you and play it in slow mo or anything back and say, oh, look, you were off the ground. It has to be in those moments when they're watching you. So it's pretty interesting. It's a lot different of a of an event rather than if you're watching a race on the track or running. That's interesting that you brought it up because I actually was having a conversation with a friend last week and um, I, you know, we were wondering if that's something that could happen, that you could go back kind of like drug testing. You could go back in time and look at, the, the race again and say, wait, that person should have been disqualified. So that can't actually happen. 
No. And so, you know, it's all like subjective. So almost like any other judge sport, like figure skating or gymnastics. So like we have a lot of problems just like those sports would have that sometimes depending on where your race is or um, like you can get disqualified one weekend and have the exact same technique the next weekend, but you race in a completely different country or different city and you could not get disqualified. And sometimes it has to do with, you know, different politics or, you know, reputations. And so the whole judging factor definitely changes the event. Um, Just to stay with judging just for a second, uh, I was told in during the Pan Am Games by a couple of the other race walkers that the judges, in fact, don't get to, they can't sit beside each other at all. They have to be separated. Is that, can you just like explain that a little bit better? Yeah, they have to be, this way they're not impacting each other at all. And um, so they, I think there's a certain distance they technically have to be away from each other. And they're also, uh, they have a time frame where they have to be, uh, that they're allowed to stay in one spot. And so they are constantly, they're moving around the course also so that they're not staying in the same spot on the course the whole time. So that's kind of why we have a looped course in race walking. Often it's either a kilometer loop or a two kilometer loop that we do um, because the judges cannot, uh, we can't do it fairly if we have it like a marathon course. We can't, we already have about, anywhere from six to nine judges out there. And so they're able to judge adequately in a course that size. But if it was bigger than that, then it wouldn't be as fair. So knowing you've got all these judges watching you, um, knowing that at any minute you can be disqualified for a, 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 an infraction of, of form, uh, how do you stay focused during a race and, and stay inside of like keeping your form? For me, it hasn't, it's not really something I think about um, because I haven't really had much technique problems or any judging problems. I've only been disqualified once in my career, and so um, I think that helps a lot. I think that you most only end up really thinking about it a lot is when you're a beginner because you're you're kind of hyper focused on it and you just haven't had enough racing experience. Whereas now it just sort of becomes, you know just somebody else on the course that you just do your thing and you know you just aren't you know you're doing it correctly and you just focus on your race tactics and going as fast as you can I guess who then makes the perfect candidate for race walking yeah this is like kind of a funny topic that a lot of people talk about because if you if you ask the background of most race walkers it's not like a cookie cutter like oh well that made you a race walker you know uh we have Anaki Gomez is one of the top male race walkers and he was a swimmer before he started race walking and I did many different sports but um so it's kind of hard to say like really what would make you a good race walker um but it, it really is just like an endurance event just like running is and it, I mean a lot of people do come in, come from a running background and, you know, a lot of people think, well, race walkers tend to, tend to look like they're really flexible. Maybe somebody that has good flexibility would be good at it. But, I mean, I don't necessarily think that there's, like, a certain person that's good at it. I think it's mostly just, like, work ethic and, um, you know, just wanting to excel in something that's sort of different. Because that's kind of what drew me into it, that, you know, I was made fun of when I, when I was in high school. And I kind of turned it around in my mind thinking, well, they're making fun of me because I'm good at something. And so it kind of 
I guess, motivated me to, you know, keep doing better and seeing where I could go with it. Yeah, I often heard, um, I often hear the phrase, well, race walkers are runners who couldn't make it. And my feeling on this is actually just, it's bad, poor education, because most of the race walkers um, that are the best in the world, in fact, run faster than almost every runner I personally know. So Yeah, that's very true. I mean, I know a lot of race walkers that, like, there's this one girl in Portugal, she runs like a 16-minute 5K, you know, that's pretty fast. Like maybe that's, she wouldn't make an Olympic team, but she'd be pretty close, you know? Yeah, I know mo- there's plenty of runners out there, even at a very high level, who can't run a 5K that fast. So, And there's many runners who can't race walk uh, or run as fast as we race walk. So it's kind of funny. Like I love going into running races. We do them every once in a while just as part of our training. And the looks we get is just hilarious because they kind of like, what? Like you shouldn't be walking uh, beside me right now like and they sprint for like 100 meters to try to get away from us and it's like and then we're right there again and you know it's just it's just different like we're just gifted it at this you know it does I, I was a decent runner like I come from a very strong running uh, family so I think I probably could have done okay running Would I made an Olympic team I don't know but uh, this is clearly just what I was good at and made to do I guess yeah, and you are you are very talented at it. Um, the last time I saw you was at the Pan Am Games in Toronto, and that was a pretty tough race. Um, I actually was listening to the interview today from when we we talked, and um, you know you were saying the, about the the conditions and and the course and everything. So do you have so since Toronto, um, what have you been up to since then? Um, well, a month later, I competed at the World Track and Field Championships, and I came 13th place, which was the highest placing a Canadian woman had ever come at the World Championships, and I was the highest placing endurance athlete also, uh, or endurance woman anyways, uh, over 1,500 meters, basically. So I was that was a very strong race for me. That was, uh, so far, is my the best result in my career. And so that was really exciting and a good way to finish off my season. It also was another uh, stamp um, of getting me to Rio because one of the qualifiers for Rio was to, if you came top 15 at the Worlds, then you would be selected also. So it was just an amazing way to to finish off my really good year last year and kind of getting me uh, ready for this year. And then I I took a month off training um, after that. And then uh, started back my my base season. So I've just been getting in the miles now and getting ready for the summer. So between your first Olympics, which was correct me if I'm wrong, 2012. Yes. Is that yes? So your between your first Olympics in 2012, what has is different to your next Olympics, which is coming up in 2016 in Rio? Yeah, I I definitely struggle. I ended up struggling in in London. I think there's multiple factors, um, but one of the factors was my husband and I had been married for uh, three years, and we d- decided that after London we were going to try to have a baby. And so, kind of the anxiety of thinking of that, like it was finally time to, you know, to try to get pregnant after the Olympics, and that it was coming up so quickly, and 
that definitely played a factor into uh, like my Olympics sort of not going as well, which is unfortunate. I think I sort of was feeling like I wasn't ready. I was at the biggest race of my life and you know, you never know what's going to happen after you have a baby. So I thought to myself, what if I never get back here? You know, what if I don't come back from pregnancy as doing as well as some other women do, but, um, but I got pregnant literally a week after I raced at the Olympics, which was pretty amazing. It couldn't have happened any, any, uh, I guess any quicker, <laughs> but, yeah. uh, it was great. And so, um, I was really glad to have a year off of full-time training to really reflect on, on what I wanted out of my career and, and even just life in, in general. And I, so I think through that time, um, off, I really, uh, realized a lot of things I needed to be changing. And so I had my daughter in uh, end of April in 2013. And from then on, everything has been completely different for me. And I have excelled dramatically since I've had her. I dropped, um, I guess it's been almost three and a half minutes. I dropped to my 20 K since I've had her. And just my whole life, I have a lot more balance and perspective on my career. I think I was just way too hyper focused on on myself and like what I was doing and too like obsessive almost. Whereas now, obviously, training is important. But I mean, my daughter, like her regular schedule is is even more important. And so now I find myself just I'm at training and I'm focusing on training when I'm there but then when I leave whether it was a good practice or a bad practice I'm able to sort of move on from it quicker and just like go on with my day and not have to think about it all day because I used to just dwell on it the whole day and so (coughs) so you know now I think that's helped me a lot because it just was too much you know a lot of people think like athletes like oh there just need to be like all the time you know everything revolving around training and I think it's true to a certain extent but I think you do need to have balance and I think that's why a lot of people do do better in college sometimes with athletics because they have the balance of schoolwork yeah I was it's an interesting point you bring up because I'm we see it a lot in the in the female field and they go the women go they have a kid they come back and they actually perform better and they there's all kinds of physiology and and reasons for this to happen um they're they're constantly writing articles and speculating on what what could possibly be going on and I've never really heard somebody say it the way you just said it um in that it makes very good sense that there's more balance to your life and that and more direction about where and more focus even probably yeah it's definitely it's just made a world of difference like I I think I clearly had the athletic potential before I had her but it's just these other changes that I needed to realize since I had her that's made all the difference what is your distance that you prefer to do what is one your favorite I, I would say 20K because that's the Olympic distance and it's what we do train for. It's kind of in my comfort zone. I get really, I get more nervous for the shorter races. Like every year, if I go to like the Millrose Games in New York City, it's a mile. 
that race I get more nervous for than I did at the Olympics or world championships, any major competition. I get more nervous for that, which is so ridiculous <laughs> because it's a race that doesn't matter. And it's a race distance that we never do. But it's just that fact that like, I think anybody can train for a mile and just come, come out of nowhere and beat you rather than in a 20 K. It's just kind of an unknown place. And I think the comfort zone is, is I'm just, you're sprinting like right from the beginning, which is, not what we're used to either racing 20 kilometers. So I think I prefer staying with around the 20 kilometer range, but I also like the 10, 10 K too, cause it's still not a complete sprint, but it's still, you're pushing, um, pretty early on. So, so in a 20 K race walk, um, is, would you do something similar that a runner would do in terms of nutrition, like hydration, obviously, but do you take gels or do you eat anything differently? Uh, during the race, I only take a sports drink. There are people that do take gels, um, but I, yeah, I guess it just depends on the person. Um, but for me, I haven't noticed that I needed anything like gels during the race. I race for about an hour and a half, and so it's kind of that borderline uh, time frame that maybe if I was going a bit longer that I would feel like I need something. But uh, that distance is pretty good for me, I guess. Um, do you have any desire in the future to move up to the 50K? Well, right now they don't have the 50K internationally for women. And so... Oh, they don't. I thought they did for... So it's only no, the men. No, yeah, just for the men right now. There are some women that are trying to push having the 50K. Um, but there would need to be considerable um, desire from, like, internationally. There'd have to be a certain amount of women interested and it'd have to start you know, at the lower level up, they do have like a 50 K uh, women's championship in the U S and then there's some in Europe. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm not really interested in doing a 50 K. I don't know if I'll even get to a marathon. I mean, maybe that'll be post career <laughs> maybe, but, uh, I'm pretty happy with this 20 K distance. It's a, it's long enough for me, I think. <laughs> to try to help boost the sport and, like you know it's we were just talking a little bit about it earlier in this conversation and the fact that race walking you know you have been made fun of at school and it can be a sport that younger girls or boys um may not want to get involved with because it's not cool um do you have any advice for people and maybe parents who are looking to put their kids in a sport and and that this could be a sport that they might actually be really good at yeah, um, I mean, I got into the sport, I got into race walking by making fun of my sister. So, I mean, I I know right up there with everybody, like, you know, I was, I start, I, I was literally making fun of her, like, race walking, and uh, my coach was like, you know, you're pretty good at that. And I never wanted to do it. And my friend actually started with me, and so that made it a lot easier. And we ended up building up uh, quite a few girls in high school, um, that did it all together. And I think that makes a difference too, is if you're not alone trying it, trying something new. Um, but I think it's just, it, it proved to me that you just never know what you're good at unless you try it. You know, there's so many different things out there that, you know, maybe you hadn't heard of it before, but maybe that's what you're gifted at, you know? And so for me, like, 
I think that's just what I what I realized that like even though I just I really didn't want to do it, it was very very different, not well known anywhere. It was something I think it was a challenge for me that to try something that was was just different and see how good I could get at it. Um, it's definitely not an easy thing to try to persuade people to try to do. Because uh, we, we talk to different high schools and, and different schools all over, and initially people think it's pretty neat, but then to actually get them to try it is the, the other hard step. And for me, I was part of a track club, uh, the Peterborough Legion Track Club, and my coach was great. He still is great. He actually still gets people to everybody to try to race walk. And I think like being part of a team like that makes a big difference because people are very supportive and, um, you know, you all just want to excel, excel at whatever you're doing. And so I think that's um, one way to get started is just join a track club and try all the different events and maybe race walking is what you're going to be good at too. I agree. I think that's actually really good, solid advice. Um, and that, that goes with all events like triple jump, high jump you know, pentathlons, it, it, you don't know until you try. Um, and I remember speaking to a coach from Vancouver and her name slips my mind right now, but she's, she coaches the Canadian team. And she had said that one of the ways that she's helped a lot of girls get involved with the sport is because some of these girls, they have really great talent, but they're not talented enough to go to the Olympics at the sport that they really want to do. And she's been able to foster them, um, foster their race walking technique and help them become really great at race walking where there is a lot more room to become an Olympic athlete is, I mean, do you have anything to add to that? Is there? Yeah, that's very true. I mean, it's, it's definitely a way that we try to recruit in a sense, because, you know, if you can get to these standards, um, you know, you're able to make a, a national team fairly easily. I mean, not depending on what team you're trying to make, the standards can be a little bit easier. And so um, that's definitely a way that we, we help pe- people, try to encourage people because we say, you know, you just do this for a little while and you see if you can make a national team. And, I mean, what kid doesn't want to wear Canadian uniform, you know? And that's what, definitely one way that got me going. Um because I mean, I'm I'm the best in Canada for I've been the best in Canada for I think uh, I don't even know like ten ten years as a senior mm-hmm. basically since I turned a senior like at twenty years old, mm-hmm. and so and the closest person to me right now is fifteen minutes away mm-hmm. for twenty kilometers. Mm-hmm. That's a lot. That is a lot. So yeah. and then the next person to her is also like then a few more minutes away. So like our podium at nationals is. You know, sometimes we even haven't had three people in the women's side. Mm-hmm. The women's side is definitely weaker than the men's side, which is in a way unusual for North America because, mm-hmm. you know, you'd think that race walking, that the men are even more unlikely to try it. But we've had a successful program that I think that's made a little bit of a, of a difference. But, I mean, there's so much room out there for people to, if they start to race walk, you know, there's a lot of room out there to fill teams and you know, I think once you make that first team, you know, maybe as a junior, then, you know, that's what happened to me. I made my first team as a junior and you want to keep making the teams, you know, you have to keep getting better to make the teams. And so it's pretty motivating and encouraging. 
So if you were speaking to um, a bunch of Canadian kids, and in particularly Canadian women, what would you tell them uh, to advise them on how to get involved or who to reach out to? I think the first thing is to find a track club uh, nearby and, you know, any coach can, can coach race walking. You do not have to be an expert in race walking to coach them because the, the training is just like a, any running program. And so I think if you can find somebody that is willing to, to coach you and, you know, learn a little bit themselves also about the technique, but really just help you, um, that makes a big difference. But the track clubs around anywhere in Canada should be able to to help with that because they have education programs too. And I think it's just getting into the track clubs and then they have race walk races at track meets, all the athletics, Ontario track meets or, or anywhere. And so, you know, that's the first step I think. So, yeah, I would even, I, I, I would might personally add to that I'd go out and watch a race one day and, and then talk to some of the athletes even, I think. Yeah. And even look on YouTube and watch some videos and, you know, it's pretty impressive. Like I even, I remember growing up and watching on, on CBC, you know, when they would be streaming everything. And that's another way that, that, that got me through my Canadian winters <laughs> training on the treadmill. I would be watching the world track, track and field championships back and just getting super motivated watching these athletes. So that's amazing. So you're going, so you're heading to Rio in twenty uh, in the summer. So want to just to briefly talk to me about, you know, your anticipation of, of that and, you know, how your training's going and what you have, what you're looking forward to the most. Uh, my training's been going pretty well. Um, I had a pretty good fall base of base work and everything. Um, so now, yeah, I'm just gearing up. I have my first race, not until uh, end of March, and I'll be going to Japan to do that one. So it'll be kind of a good um, first race to see kind of where I'm at and kind of know what I need to do differently or keep doing in training, basically. And I think it's just everything is geared to Rio. So um, to be my strongest there, I would love to come top 10 in Rio. I think it's a possibility. It would be definitely a challenge, but I think that um, I'm definitely capable of doing it. And so... You know, everything's just going to be gearing up for that and seeing what we can do. Um, and your husband is also a race walker. Yes, he's a two-time U.S. Olympian uh, for 20-kilometer race walk also. And he's actually retired now from competing. Uh, he stopped a couple of years ago, but he's my coach. So, <laughs> so he's oh. still very involved um, and... I mean, I'm very, very lucky to have him as my coach. He's a great coach, and it's, I think, also great that I just have him with me all the time. So he's very supportive, and it's great. That's really great. And you also have quite – you had mentioned you come from a very successful running family, and I actually met your mom and back in Toronto, and she's incredible. But you have actually very good pedigree. Do you want to just briefly tell everybody who your mom and dad are? Yeah, uh, my parents are Nil and Christine Lavallee, and my mom had the Canadian record for the marathon in, I think, the late 70s. She had run 2.42, and then my dad also had one of the best uh, times in Canada. He had run a 2.19 in the 70s. My mom also won the Ottawa Marathon twice, and 
they were both uh, CIS champions. I think cross country, and my mom was OFSA medalist, and so they've they were definitely very good runners, and they're still pretty hardcore now. <laughs> they're yes. they train a lot. They do a lot of different other activities also, but they do almost mm-hmm. eleven hours a week of of training. It's pretty yeah. amazing. <laughs> Yeah, I she she is one amazing lady. Like I got to speak with her, and she was. I wanted to interview her as well. Yeah, <laughs> she's really really cool, and it was. It's really great that you got to have that growing up. So now, as a mother yourself, um, what what are your plans? Do you do you think you're gonna want to introduce your daughter to sports? Or are you gonna let her find that on her own? Yeah, I think that. I mean, we're gonna probably put her in. Oh, here she yeah. is. <laughs> um, we're probably going to put her in some different sports just so that she can try and see what she enjoys doing. Um, she'll have enough pressure, I think, as it is that her, both her parents are Olympians. And, you know, if she likes to race walk or if she likes to run or if she likes to do art, whatever whatever it is, I think we'd rather her just decide and have fun. Hopefully it's something different so we can kind of do something different too with her. But, I mean, yeah, we're, we're up to anything. Yeah. Do you think, um, just hypothetically, she does become a race walker, would you want to be her coach or would you let someone else take that, that role? Actually, yeah, that's interesting. I don't know. I guess it would be probably challenging not to coach her because we just have done so much ourselves with it, with the event. And so I don't know, I guess it would depend on where we were at in our, in our life and who else would be able to coach. I would say my husband's the best coach in the U.S. right now, and so it'd be hard to to find somebody else closer <laughs> that could do better. But you never know. <laughs> yeah. So if everybody wants to find you online, how? What's the best way for them if they have questions for you directly or just want to follow your road to Rio? Yeah, uh, you could check me out. I guess I'm pretty active on Twitter and Instagram, and uh, I guess my Twitter handle is at Rachel underscore Seaman. And then my Instagram is Seaman Rachel. So, yeah, you can follow me on there. Um, hopefully I can get my act together and get my blog a bit more active. And I'm Because uh, I do like to do that, but it's a bit more challenging now with my two-year-old tiring me out. <laughs> mm-hmm. But uh, my blog is uh, rachelseaman.blogspot.com. So you can check it out there, too. Okay, great. Thanks so much for your time and all the great advice you had. And uh, we definitely will be watching you as you get ready and get off to Rio. Great. Thanks for the support. Don't forget to follow Rachel on the road to Rio this summer. Come back next week to Sisu Girls Canada for more interviews with women who sweat Sisu. Follow at Sisu Girls for podcast updates. (laughs) 